Hello there and welcome to another episode of MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza. Today we're breaking down the full card for UFC Vegas 40, or also known as UFC Fight Night 195, right? That's Norma Dumont versus Aspen Ladd. We're going to go through the full card, prelims, and main card. Before we get to that, just want to do a real quick recap of UFC Vegas 39, which was last weekend. We didn't do a full card recap for that, uh, or a full card breakdown for that uh, event. We actually ended up just doing the main card. So in the main card, we had Dern McKenzie to win the main event. We were, we were wrong on that one. Marina ends up doing just enough. There were some moments there where Dern had her in position on the ground, and it looked like you know she could do something. But overall, uh, Dern McKenzie ends up losing on the scorecards. It wasn't even close. Marina was just outstriking her, landing a lot more. And other than a few you know dangerous moments there in the second round, and maybe at the end of like fourth round, I think um, Dern McKenzie was just outclassed and. That seems to be the ceiling for Dern McKenzie, right? You know, she's, I think, at the at her age of 28, she's got some room to improve. But she's never going to be a striker as good as Marina Rodriguez. And unless she somehow shores up her ability to take down fighters like that in a five-round fight, you know, for, for two or three of the rounds, she's going to run into some problems. So the rest of the fights we did get correct, though. We got Randy Brown over Jared Gooden, which was nice. We had Matthias Nikolaou winning over Tim Elliott. Maria Agapova, which was the which was our only dog of the night we selected, um, she ends up winning that fight, and it kind of went the way I expected. I think Savina Maz was a little overrated. UFC material, yes, but a little overrated. And so Maria Agapova looks pretty good there and finishes the fight. Um, as for the first fight on the main card and the fight that we were most confident in, Chris Gutierrez over Felipe Coladas ends up just being like the fight of the year uh, a candidate. Um, Goes back and forth. Chris Gutierrez goes down like two or three times. I'm like, oh my god, this is the guy I'm most confident in for the night. But he ends up pulling out the victory. It's a crazy fight. You know, really opens up a nice cut there on Felipe. Finishes the fight TKO on the ground. Um, so we end up doing okay when it came to the straight up picks for winning and losing. Where we did really well was we had two parlays in action, and we did post those parlays ahead of time. We posted them on Twitter as well. If you were following us or trailing us, and you looked at them or at least tried to play them, um, they worked out really well. The first one was we had Brown winning at minus 250, Gutierrez winning at minus 235, Gordinez winning at minus 320, and Garcia winning at minus 305. If you put those together at plus 248, we put one unit on that. So one unit at $100 returns $247. That was a nice winner. The second parlay we had in action was Gutierrez winning at minus 235. So we had him on both parlays, which again is why when I'm watching that fight, I'm like, oh shit, it's going to fall apart right now. But he ends up winning... <clears throat> Thankfully, uh, the second part of that parlay was Brown to win at minus 250 and then Godinez to win at minus 325. So basically what we did there was we just removed the uh, the Garcia fight and went with three, three-legger at one unit. So that paid out 161. So we did really well there when it came to the uh, the parlays last weekend. And uh, so we finished off with like, what, 72% ROI, return on investment. So a good week. And we've been on a bit of a roll uh, going back to UFC fight night, uh, Holland and Dalkus. Uh, we had 27% ROI on that event. We won $378. That was nice. Bellator 267, we had 93% ROI on that event. We ended up with $200 return. Um, and then our last event that we were losing or, or fell short on was UFC Vegas. Um, Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spann, which we ended up losing only three quarters of a unit total in that event. So it wasn't like a big loss. But we're on a bit of a streak here. So if you're trailing us, let's keep it going. So with all that said here, we're going to jump into the first fight of the night in the prelims. And that's going to start us off with a women's bout. Ariana Carnalasi versus Estela Nunes. The first fight in Endicard is going to be a women's bout in the strawweight division. We've got two Brazilian fighters here. Ariana Carnalasi versus Estela Nunes. Nunes is 7-1 overall. She's a slight dog here at plus 150 in the money line. 29 years old, 5'4 in height, and she trains out of Paranala Velatura. As for Ariana, she's 13-2 overall, a little more experienced. She's 4-1 in her last five fights. Currently minus 170 in the money line. She's 28 years old, 5'2 in height, and she's got a 61.5 inch reach. Now, I'll tell you, 
She's got a two-inch disadvantage there in the height, and if you look at the way Ariana's built, her also, also her reach is very short. She's a very stocky fighter, built out like a wrestler. She's coming out of inside Muay Thai. That's a gym she trains out of. Now, coming down to the tapology votes, Carnalossi is a big favorite here, getting 86% of the votes over Nunes, who's getting only 14%. That's probably for a few reasons. One, Carnalossi is a little more well-known. She's been around in UFC now. She's fought a few fights in UFC, whereas uh, Stella Nunes is coming off of a three-year layoff, hasn't fought in three years, and this will be her UFC debut. Okay, so let's look here at Stella Nunes a little more closely. She fought last in 2018 versus Gina Inyong. Um, Asian fighter in one championship, and what's notable there is that you know Gina is she's an okay fighter, probably for that level for one championship, LFA, that kind of thing, but not dangerous by any means. It's the kind of fighter that you're looking for someone like Estela Nunes, a Brazilian striker, to probably take her out, you know, finish that fight. But she couldn't do it; goes to decision, and that's that's been a result of some of her recent fights. Matter of fact, she went to decision back 2016 versus another Asian fighter. Um, now, her finishes have been by head kick and by knee. So she can be dangerous there with the legs. But, man, the three-year layoff scares me. Um, when I watch her on film, the one thing that pops out to me when you watch that Gina Inyong fight is that she does use her hands and she's striking. But she reminds me a little bit of Ariana Lipsky, another Brazilian female fighter, where she's never touching you with power. They're just touching you. Um, so it's not dangerous striking. It's striking that if it adds up and you're not doing something else, you're not taking her down or you're not counter-striking or you're not – you know, building up points of your own in other areas, you know, then she'll win a fight on the points. Um, and that's sort of, you know, her, her path to victory. Um, will she outstrike Ariana Carnalossi here? Probably. She's going to have the reach advantage. She'll have a two-inch height advantage. Um, Car Carnalossi is very rough in striking. That's really not her forte. She's more of a BJJ fighter, more of a wrestler. Um, she wants to grapple her opponent, get the opponent against the cage. Um, and that's sort of, you know, her technique. Um, in terms of Carnalossi, let's look at her recent fight history here. So she's coming off of a win also herself against an Asian fighter, Na Liang. And that was a UFC fight, though. Uh, round two, ground and pound. She gets down. She gets her girl to the ground, grinds her out. Her prior fight was a loss, though, against Angela Hill. That was 2019. And that was a cut. So, look, she, she, she does get busted up in that fight. She is bleeding. It is a bad cut. They have to stop it. Um, probably on the way to losing that fight, though, either way. You know, so i got to be honest. You know, Now, that was her first UFC fight. So she's 1-1 one one in the UFC. She had a past in Future FC, Thunder, um, Max, Thunder, you know, Glory of Heroes, lower level fighting. Um, but basically, in the UFC, she's one and one, super duper strong. Have you, if you see her Instagram like page, man, this girl is jacked, very strong, um, in great shape, you know. So she's going to probably come in here and close the distance. I'm choosing Carnalossi to win, and I'm actually very confident in her to win this fight. I think with a three year layoff for someone who. It hasn't fought anything significant. I think the two wins, I think the two fights in, in UFC just give Karnalasi all the advantage in the world. If you're going to wager this fight, which I understand if some people are like, oh, it's early prelims, it's a women's fight, don't just, just pass on it. That's fine. Pass on it if you don't want to really get into it. But if you're watching these fights and I'll be watching the fight, I want some action on it. I like Karnalasi to win the fight. I think her experience, I think her strength, I think having fought 15 fights compared to eight uh, of um, her opponent here, Nunez. I think those are all advantages. When I took a closer look at things like, for example, fighter IQ, I give an edge there to Arna Carnalasi, one, because of the experience, of course, but she's got the wrestling dynamic. She's got that component. She's not only got the skill to do it, she's got the strength to do it, whereas when you look at Nunez's fight, it's all on the feet. It's all outside. It's all boxing. It's all striking. Stands up very high. So definitely an advantage there in IQ because when you don't have that ability and you don't show great defense with that ability – 
you're just you know you're opening yourself up there to problems. Um, cardio wise, they've both gone a distance in fights. They've both shown good cardio. Finishing ability, I definitely give an edge there to Colonel Lossie. Okay, looking at some of her recent fights, she won against Liang ground and pound. She won her <coughs> prior fight 2019 against Souza body kick. Um, her prior win before that 2018 was a split decision win, but before that she wins by punches against uh, Aline Peraz. So. Of her last one, two, three, four fights, you know, she's got three or four finishes. So she's got finishing capability. So I give the edge there to Colonel Lassie to be able to finish the fight. In terms of fighter schedule, like history, strength of schedule, again, you got to give an advantage there to Colonel Lassie. She's fought two UFC fights. So a lot of reasons here to to, to basically, you know, favor, <coughs> excuse me, Colonel Lassie. The one weakness I see for Colonel Lassie, or one big one, is going to be her striking ability on the feet, her boxing her, you know, her, her, her length, her distance is, is going to be a big deficit. She's built a little bit like Hannah Goldie, you know, but the one thing that I give her over Hannah Goldie is Hannah Goldie is like very robotic. Colonel Lossie moves a little bit better than that. She's a little bit more fluid in her movement, but nonetheless, she's going to still have this, this deficiency in, 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 in reach and striking. So she'll have to close the distance. She'll have to bring Nunez to the ground. She'll have to do that for at least two of the three rounds to get the fight that she wants to be able to get the win. So we'll see what happens here. But I like Colonel Lassie to win the fight. If you're betting the fight straight up, again, I like Colonel Lassie. I think this is safe money here. This is a safe bet. Nunes is coming in here as a first UFC fight, three-year layoff. Don't love that. So that's our breakdown. Next up, we've got a bantamweight bout between the American fighter Brandon Davis and the Mongolian fighter Dana Baccarat. Baccarat's 9-2 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights, 32 years old, 5'7 in height with a 70-inch reach. He trains out of Jackson Wink MMA. As for Brandon Davis, he's 14-8 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights. He's from Mississippi, 31 years old, 5-10 in height with a 72-inch reach. He's coming out of American top team down there in Delbosville, Mississippi. Now, on the money line right now, Baccarat's the favorite at minus 200. You can get Brandon Davis on the other side at plus 160. Now, let's start with Brandon Davis first. He's got a little bit of interesting history. This is his second time uh, around in the UFC. He did have a run in the UFC back in the day. Um, that was back in 2018. He fights Kyle Bochniak, loses that fight by decision, then goes ahead and wins a fight against Steven Peterson, then win, then loses two fights in a row against uh, Zabit and against Enrique Brazalo, then wins against Randy Costa. Randy Costa, we saw him fight recently, not a bad win there, and then loses two tough split decisions to Kang and Shikadze, both very good fighters, guys that are still very you know strong fighters in the UFC, and they were split decision losses. So he, that was back in 2019. Loses his contract with UFC, then goes on a four-fight winning streak um, in Gulf Coast MMA. Haven't heard much about that promotion, but he's in there doing well. He's got an invite to come back here. Um, you know, sometimes the second time around can be a blessing where the guy's, you know, got more experience. He's, you know, more prepared. You know, split decision losses against people like, you know, Giga Chikaze and, you know, Kang Hu Kang. That's not bad. A win over Randy Costa, who is a UFC fighter. You know, so um, it's a mixed bag here with Brandon Davis. It's hard to just say flatly like, oh, he's not UFC material. He was there before he got cut. He did get some wins and maybe even shouldn't have been cut at the time that he got cut. So, you know, with him, um, I'm not confident betting against him. I am choosing Dana Baccarat to win this fight. I think Baccarat's got an edge in the finishing department. I think Brandon Davis has an edge in experience. I mean, Baccarat looks like an old man, but he has only fought 11 professional fights. He's 9-2. At least Brandon Davis has fought 22 total fights. You know, he's dipped his toes in the UFC. Um, 31 years old compared to 32. Baccarat is older, but again, there's more experience there for Davis. So, you know, cardio-wise, they're, they're very similar. IQ-wise, very similar. They know how to wrestle. They know how to grapple. They know how to strike. Um, so, you know, a lot of things about both fighters I, I, I do like. Um, but I'm going to go with the guy who at least has been in the UFC now recently. When you look at Baccarat, he's 9-2 overall. He's got himself 
two and one record in the UFC with two straight wins, and both those wins have been by finish. Um, Kevin Natiravad, that's a pretty good win. Kevin Natiravad is a decent fighter. That was back in back in uh, April of this year, um, and then his prior win was against Kennedy. Uh, again, a round one win, three minutes in the first round, left hook. Um, so he's got finishing ability. Um, he's coming out of you know this Mongolian pr promotion, which. You know, those Asian fighters, there's always like, you know, a little hesitancy. But look, two straight wins in a row, two finishes in UFC. I think he's got it to hang around and uh, stay around. For Brandon Davis, I'm, I'm sure it's not like a one and done thing. I'm, I'm hopefully he got a contract here to try to fight, you know, a few fights. And we'll see. Could he come in here like a whole new fighter? Um, you know, the, the four fight winning streak, you know, changed him and confidence wise and fights a better game plan. Yeah. But if you're betting on the fight, if you're going to go bet on the fight, I think Dana Baccarat is the guy you want to back here. Um, just looking more specifically at my notes here, I just want to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. Um, I did mention, yeah, Dana Baccarat grew up in Mongolia. He's probably one of the only fighters in all of UFC that's actually Mongolian. So he's got that tag. He represents all of Mongolia. Um, for Brandon Davis, actually, yeah, he um, he got himself a degree in uh, in Mississippi State University, a bachelor's degree after transferring from Itawamba Community College. But didn't like didn't uh, didn't do much in the way of youth wrestling or like that. He actually just got into MMA and training about the age of twenty years old. Started BJJ while he was studying in college. I mean, from there he kind of just you know broadened himself into this career. So um, I I'm caution. I'm always cautious with people like that. I, I don't I don't I'm not trying to say anything bad about people who you know young twenties whatever. You decide hey I want to get into some sports whatever. It's just like. If you're that age when you're picking up mixed martial arts compared to a guy like Baccarat who's been fighting since he was probably like seven years old or something like that and some level of combat who's literally been fighting for a long time, there's just a huge edge there from that standpoint where like you're picking it up at 20 years old as a, as a part-time hobby to stay in shape and the next thing you know you're like, oh, this is kind of like I could do some of this. Like Brandon Davis has a degree. He's a smart guy. Um, Dana Baccarat is from Mongolia and is coming in here. You know, ready to headhunt, ready to win this fight. So I think for Brandon Davis, it's nice you're getting a second chance in the UFC, um, but probably not going to go the way he wants. I like Baccarat to win the fight. Not a super duper confident bet, though. Okay, I'm just making that clear. I do like him here. I will not bet him straight up at minus 200. I'm not going to put $200 on a fighter like this um, to win 100 bucks back. Will I parlay him? Yeah. In the one big parlay tonight, the one long parlay, he'll be in there, and I'll have Dana Baccarat to win the fight. Okay, next fight in the card is going to be a featherweight bout between Ludovic Klein and Nate Landwehr. Landwehr is from the United States, from Clarksville, Tennessee, to be specific. He's 14 and 4 overall, 3 and 2 in his last five fights. 5 foot 9 in height with a 70 and a half inch reach. He's currently underdog here on the money line. You have him around 2 plus 225 to plus 240. He's trading out of SSF Submission Academy. As for Ludovic Klein, he's from Slovakia, 17 and 3 overall, 4 and 1 in his last five fights. A big favorite here on the money line around minus 300, 26 years old. He's a little bit younger here, roughly by seven years. He's 5'7 in height with a 72-inch reach. So Ludovic's going to have a 2-inch reach advantage, a 2-inch two two though uh, height disadvantage. He's coming out of Spartacus Fight Gym, which is over also in uh, Slovakia, where he lives. Now, according to Tapology, Klein is a big favorite here, getting 89% of the votes compared to 11% of the votes coming in for Landwehr. Um, I agree with it. I think you have um, quite a big mismatch here. Ludovic Klein is a skilled fighter, um, and uh, look, I, I say it with all due respect. Nate Landwehr is a, is a young man who went to college, ran track, um, actually ran track in um, junior college on scholarship, you know, so was an athlete, no question. Um, and then somewhere after that period of time, you know, picks up, you know, again, makes martial arts, starts training, and, and now here he is fighting the UFC, right? Um, yeah, side note, man, when they get more 
athletes, you know, like they're looking all over the world. Like these guys like Nate Landwehr, they're not going to be able to survive, I would say, in the future UFC when there's going to be so much more competition. Nate Landwehr, for all the credit I give him for like getting in the cage, being a good fighter, he is just really raw, rough around the edges. Recently, he's been showing some chin issues, been knocked out twice recently in his last two of his last three fights where he got knocked out by a flying knee against Arosa in less than a minute of round one. His prior fight got knocked out to two and a half. Um, sorry, two fights before that against Herbert Burns got knocked out 243 in the first round by uh, a knee as well. Um, did get a nice win over Darren Elkins by decision, you know, so look, he, he'll, will he push pace? Yeah. Will he grapple you? Absolutely. He'll push guys against the cage. Very raw, um, but not a lot of technique behind it. I think we're seeing some chin issues. They're not like chin issues because he's like an old man. Like he's 33 years old. He's still very much in his prime years. It's just like he leaves himself open. Um, you got a guy like Ludovic Klein who's very skilled. Uh, here's a guy who his last four wins have all been um, by finish. Okay. Now he did lose against Mike Trezano um, in his second UFC fight by decision. Trezano's a decent fighter. You know, Trezano came into that fight eight and one. Now he's nine and one. Um, I think it's a lesson for Klein. Look, how does he deal with with a with a elite level striker like Trezano in the future? So that's not going to be the case here. He's going to be dealing with the guys that want to grapple him. Uh, now, look, as for Nate Langweir, for people that are going for Nate Langweir who think he could win the fight, they're going to say, well, he's in a pushed pace. Judges like that. He'll you know, put the guy against the cage, have some points against the cage, position control. Judges like that. He'll get him down to the ground, take some top position. Judges will like that. So that's his path to victory. But Ludovic Klein is very skilled. Here's a guy with good takedown defense. Here's a guy who's been there with grapplers before. Um, I think he wins the, the stand-up combinations. Um, I think even if he gets taken out, he gets up pretty quickly. Um, I think Nate Landwehr over the course of three rounds probably gets starts at least one time. And can he survive it? If it's the end of the round, maybe. If it's midway point of a round, early part of the round, Ludovic Klein probably finishes him. So it's high likelihood I, I see a finish here. I like Ludovic Klein, one of my strongest picks on the card. Now, the money line is a little, you know, a little, little rich there, right? So minus 300, almost minus 310 now, actually you're not getting a lot of value. So that's strictly going to be a parlay piece for me. I'm not going to bet that straight up. Um, but I like the Slovakian fighter here, Ludovic Klein. And as for Nate Landwehr, I don't know anything about the guy personally that would make me want to fade him. But, man, the style is just, again, I, I've said it, I said at the beginning of this breakdown, I don't think a fighter like him, this caliber, is a future UFC fighter where, like, when there's more competition. I think he's just really rough around the edges. Um, and at this point here has shown... Uh, some chinks in the armor, and that's specifically the chin. So we'll see what happens here. You know, he's one and two in the UFC. Uh, might fall to one and three here, I believe, and then maybe gets one more fight after this. So for Nate Landwehr, he is fighting for a lot. This means a lot to him. He's 33 years old, so he knows as well he's not going to probably get a second chance at the UFC if he ends up losing his contract. So he's got a lot to fight for. For the Slovakian fighter, he's 26 years old here, coming in, you know, wet behind the ears. Um, I think he's got uh, everything to gain, nothing to lose. Um, and I think he's uh, coming off of a loss and learned something. So, again, we like Ludovic Klein. For Up next, we've got a flyweight bout between Lupita Godinez and Luana Carolina. Now, this was a late replacement or late, you know, change in fights. Mariana Moraz was supposed to fight Luana Carolina initially. Moraz had to withdraw from the fight. Then Sajara Eubanks came in as the replacement to fight Luana Carolina, and she had to withdraw from her fight. Uh, so now here we've got uh, Luana Carolina fighting Godinez. Now, Godinez just fought literally a week ago. Um, so she's going to have a one-week layoff between these two fights. But she had a dominant win there last week over um, her opponent. It was a round one arm bar. She took no damage. So clearly she's fight ready. She's coming in here, you know, 
um, you know, in shape, shouldn't have a problem with the weight cut, and, you know, I'm pretty sure she's motivated for another payday. If you don't recall, after her last fight against uh, Savannah Juarez, after the fight, she was very emotional, like happy emotional, very grateful, um, just was like super thankful, um, just the kind of fighter probably who, who would tell Dana, like, listen, if you need me, even at like a few days notice, even if I just fought, give me a call, I'll jump in there, I'll fight. So um, she's a Mexican transplant. Her family grew up in Mexico. She's born in Mexico. She represents the Mexican flag, but she moved to Canada, Vancouver. Her family did to escape like the drugs and cartel and all the violence down there in the area that she was living at in Mexico. So um, seems like a very grateful person. You know, I, I remember her fight against Penne a few fights ago. If you recall that fight, it was like a growing moment for her. She literally picked up and threw Penne, Jessica Penne, a few times in that fight to the ground, but then wouldn't take top position, didn't take advantage of it. Um, and Jessica Penne backpacked her for a round and squeezed out a win that was a split decision. And, you know, at first, I'm like, oh, I thought Godinez really won the fight. But once I reviewed it again, I, I do have to admit, like, you got to give the backpacking time to Jessica Penne. The fact that, you know, uh, Godinez was throwing her on the ground was nice, but she wasn't taking advantage of it. So I think she grew a lot from that fight to the Juarez fight. And the Juarez fight, she was using her, you know, her strength and her, you know, maneuverability as a wrestler to get on top and to get top control. But then she would take top position. She would do something with it. I expect her to do the same thing here against Luana Carolina. Uh, Carolina's got a lot of holes in her game. Uh, not a great wrestler. Kind of a longer, thinner fighter. Uh, so not very strong. Doesn't have doesn't have that kind of power to her game. Her greatest, you know, I guess skill is her striking, using her long arms, being able to strike, extend her arms, full punches, some knees, some kicks, some knees in the clinch. Um, but the problem is in the clinch, you're going to have a huge advantage there for Lupita if you're looking to, you know, uh, if you're if you're rooting for Luana Carolina to win the fight. She's going to have a hard time in the clinch. I imagine that Lupita takes her to the ground several times. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Lupita finishes this fight. I don't think the late replacement is a factor at all. I think she's very motivated. She's ready. She's in shape. Um, and as for Luana Carolina, you know, I'm going to say this without sounding just, I don't want to sound mean. I'm just trying to be really straight up. I don't think she's barely UFC even caliber. Um, she got this, she has her record. Her record right now in the UFC is, uh, what? It's two and one. Okay. So she's beaten Priscilla Cachoeira and she's beaten Pollyanna Botello. The Pol Botello fight was a split decision win. The win over Cachoeira was a, was a decision win. Her fight with Ariana Lipsky, she gets knee barred in round one. It just showed such of the, uh, the problems with her, her ground game. She has like no ability to defend herself on the ground. She can't, she just can't handle herself on the ground. It's going to be a problem for her, um, overall. So you know, I have a lot of reasons to, to say that I like Lupita, uh, Lupita to win the fight. Um, but just overall, it's also coming down to like the matchup. You've got a shorter, stronger fighter who's very, very good in the clinch, who's very like wrestling dominant versus a very long, like dare I say, like kind of like a, a Kevin Durant type of build, you know, very thin, long arms. Um, you know, there was rumors that she could like barely do a few push-ups type of thing. And and I believe it. I believe it. Look at the way Luana Carolina is built. You know, she's five foot six. She's four inches taller than Lupita. Um, long, re long reach, 69 inch reach. And you look at that and you can say, oh, she's going to be able to strike her from the outside. Lupita's very quick and very athletic. You know, she is built like kind of like Hannah Goldie, that kind of fighter, you know, but she's much smoother and quicker. Um, striking numbers, Lupita's landing 2.65 strikes per minute. She's absorbing 1.77 strikes per minute. As for Luana, a little busier, landing 4.8 strikes per minute compared to 3.27 she's absorbing. Now look at the takedown numbers here. 6.24 takedowns per 15 minutes is what Lupita Godinez is averaging compared to zero for Carolina. So, Godinez does not have to worry about being taken down. She defends at a pretty high rate anyway. And Luana defends at a 90% clip. I guarantee you that number takes a big hit after the, this fight. She's going to get taken down. 
She may get taken down multiple times in, in each round. And when she gets taken down, she's going to have a hard time getting up because of the way she's built. She may expose her neck, may get choked out. Now, according to Tapology, Godinez is a big favorite getting 87% of the votes. On the money line, Godinez is currently minus 285 like on MGM. It's not even available yet on DraftKings or FanDuel. Uh, you can get Carolina at plus 225 there at MGM. So I imagine when this is all dust is settled and pre-fight, you know, you know, a few hours before pre-fight, You'll have Godinez at like minus 400. Um, she is a, a much better overall talent here. They're both 28. It's interesting because Luana doesn't look 28 when you just sort of... She looks like she's just older, <laughs> put it that way. Um, I like Godinez. I think she's got a bit of a future here in MMA and in, in, in UFC. I think Luana Carolina, it's just amazing to me that she even has two wins in UFC. I guess it speaks to the value, to, to, to the or not value, but to the level of competition sometimes in some of these women's fights. But... This is free money. If you can snap up Lupita early on as a parlay piece, anywhere around minus 300 to minus 400, get it then. Because once it gets into that minus 450 to minus 500 range, which very well could be, it just kind of gets outside, you know, of the value. So I like Lupita to win the fight. Quick turnaround, kind of exciting. Um, I think she goes in here and just completely just steamrolls over Carolina. Next up, we've got a welterweight bout between Danny Roberts from England and Ramazan Imev from Russia. Dagestan, Russia, to be specific. Ramazan's 20-4 and four overall, 4-1 four in his last five fights. He's a favorite coming into this fight in the money line at minus 225, 34 years old, 5'10 in height with a 68.5-inch reach. He's coming out of Goritz FT, which is a very good gym. As for Mr. Roberts, who goes by Hot Chocolate, he's 17-5 and five overall, 3-2 and two in his last five fights. He's the dog right down the money line at plus 190. He's born in Bristol, England, fighting out of the United Kingdom, 34 years old, 6'1 in height with a 74-inch reach. He's coming out of a very good gym as well, Black Zillions. Now, according to Tapology here, Emev is a strong favorite, getting 88% of the votes here. I agree. I think Emev is going to win this fight. I think the two-year layoff here for Danny Roberts is a big red flag. Um, I think Emev is a rising star. I think the young man has got a lot of potential. Uh, I think he chews up Roberts on the ground, like a lot of Dagestani fighters like to do. Um, I think on the feet, he's also able to chew up Roberts. Um, I think it's going to be surprising if Roberts survives three rounds here with Emev. Now, looking at Emev's re recent fight history, he's coming off of a split decision win against David Zawada, which, you know, probably shouldn't have been in the split decision. I thought he just won the fight outright, but he wins the fight nonetheless. Prior fight, he beats Nicholas Stoles. Um, so those are two fights over the last two years. <coughs> Did lose against Anthony Rocco Martin by decision in 2019, and that was his lone UFC loss. So in the UFC, Emev is 5-1. and one. Um, in the UFC for Roberts, Roberts is currently four and four in the UFC. Um, his most, mo his most notable wins were over Terman, Roundtree and Barriut. So, <coughs> excuse me. So if you're looking at, you know, Roberts, he does have a few quality wins in the UFC. Um, he has lost against Michael Pereira, which is not off awful. Claudio Silva, um, Nordine Tlaib, um, Mike Perry, you know, so experience wise, you know, you got to respect the fact that Danny Roberts has been in the UFC here now for what? seven, eight years. His first fight in the UFC was 2015 against Nathan Coy. Then he fights uh, Dominique Steele. So starts off his UFC run with two straight wins. Um, he's got some finishing ability. He can, he can knock people out. Um, he's got definitely got his hands are, are, are dangerous. Um, but man, he's fighting a very talented young Dagestani wrestler grappler um, who's going to get close a distance, bring him to the ground, um, drag it out, make it ugly. You know, dare I say, do do some Khabib type of things to him. Um, so for Roberts, look, two-year layoff, just not great. You got a guy like Emev who's coming in here fighting, what, this is his second fight of 2021. Um, and he fought once in 2020, 
once 2019, twice 2018. He's fighting one to two fights every single year. He's busy. He's coming out of a very, very good gym. Um, so look, I like I like he, the young Russian fighter here. I think he gets the win here. Um, don't love the minus 240 because you just want to get more value there, but you may be tempted here to put a unit and a half on this straight up. I have a lot of confidence in this, and I'll definitely be putting this into my par parlay one and two and three, that kind of thing. I have a lot of confidence, Emev. So he gets the win here. I like the Russian. Next up, we've got a middleweight bout between the American Andrew Sanchez and Bruno Silva from Brazil. Silva's 20-6 and six overall, 5-0 and in his last five fights. He's currently a slight favorite here at minus 150 in the money line, 32 years old, 6 foot in height with 74-inch reach. He trains out of a gym in Brazil called Evoluca Thai MMA. As for Mr. Sanchez, he's 12-6 and six overall, 3-2 and two in his last five fights. He's from Missouri to be specific, a slight dog here at plus 125, 33 years old, 6 foot 1 in height with a 76-inch reach. He's coming out of TriStar Gym. Now, according to Tapology here, Silva's getting a lot of love. 86% of the votes coming here for Silva and 14% coming in here for Sanchez. I agree. I think Silva gets the win here. Um, this is going to be an easy breakdown, guys, including some MMA math. Now, looking at Andrew Sanchez um, first. Okay, so Mr. Sanchez, he's coming off of a loss to Mahmoud Mudadov, which, you know, that's not a bad loss. The dude Mudadov is legit. It was a round three flying knee, so it was kind of ugly, got knocked out, that kind of thing. It happens. It happens, you know. His prior fight, he fought Wellington Terman, okay? He wins that fight, okay? Round one, knocks him out, uh, pretty much, you know, does what Wellington Terman does. Wellington Terman's got no chin, finishes him. His prior fight, Marvin Vittori, goes a decision against Vittori, loses by decision to Vittori, so it's not bad. His prior fight beats Marc-Andre Barriou. Prior fight before that, Marcus Perez wins that fight, so... Um, look, he's got some losses in his UFC career, but they're guys like Anthony Smith, guys like Marvin Vittori, guys like Mudadov. So for one standpoint with Sanchez, of the six losses he has in his career, most of those losses are pretty quality opponents, okay? And some of the ways he losses were, were not bad, like decisionless loss against Vittori, right? So not all losses are created equal. Right? As for Bruno Silva, let me just tell you a quick story about Silva. Last fight, he's fighting Wellington Term, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, you know he hasn't fought in three years. It was a three-year layoff between the last fight he fought and his prior fight. And I'm like, yeah, it's just not a good sign. He comes in there and starts his Wellington tournament, shows a lot of power, a ton of power, like scary power. And then you look back at his record. Going back to 2017 for, for Bruno Silva, from 2017 to now, he's fought one, two, three, four, five fights. And he has finished all five of those fights, all of them, all of them by TKO or KO of some kind. Dude has nasty power. I think he gets a Sanchez in this fight. Uh, I'm praying for our, our friend here, Sanchez, who's coming off of a knockout loss. Um, I think he gets touched with the you know the touch of death here by Bruno Silva. It's almost like Silva took that three year layoff, got on the juice, you know, started taking vitamins or something, and then came back with like even more power. It was even more violent. So this is free money. I believe Silva is going to hurt Sanchez. There's no question about it. Um, I like I like Sanchez's gym, TriStar. His age is not a problem. They're 33, 32, respectively. The measurables are similar, 6'1 to 6 foot. Um, if anything, Sanchez has a slight physical advantage, a 2-inch reach advantage and a 1-inch height advantage. But Silva is got really he's really well proportioned, and the power is there. Um, he's coming in here with a lot of confidence. I think he's going to start Sanchez. I believe that from a prop bet standpoint. I really like that a lot. Um, but as a straight-up bet here, if you're looking to straight up at the fight here, at minus 140-ish to minus 130-ish right now, Bruno Silva, there's a lot of value in that. The dude is on a winning streak, by the way. If you're looking at, like, last time he lost was in 2016, and it was a Kimura, so it was a submission against a guy. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. It, it was a submission loss. Before that, he hadn't lost. 
you know, since 2012. You know, so the guy doesn't do a lot of losing. He does a lot of winning. Okay. Um, you know, as for Sanchez, look, he, he's you know he's vulnerable. Like any guy who fights in the UFC, you're gonna get beat sometimes. Anthony Smith, not bad. Ryan James, Marvin Vittori, Makhmad Mudadov. You know, is Silva in that category? Is Silva of the same category or level of Vittori? Probably not. Um, even though Vittori sometimes get a little overrated, I don't know. But Silva has got something special in his hands. And so I think we'll see that on display. I like Silva to win the fight. This one is going to get violent. Um, you know, Sanchez, does he have some wins? Does he have some finishes? Yeah, he also finished Wellington Tournament round one. Okay, so, but prior to that, his prior two UFC wins back 2018-19 were both against Barriot and Perez. Those were decision wins. His Trevor Smith win, decision, uh, Khalil Roundtree by decision. You know, so of his last, you know, going back to like six, last six or so wins for him, only one of them had been by uh, a finish. So for Sanchez, a little bit less finishing ability. For Silva, all the finishing ability you could imagine. So I think it's going to be a nice, fun, exciting main event here for the undercard. And I'm on Silva to win the fight. Okay, guys, the main card opens up with a middleweight bout between two American fighters, Julian Marquez and Jordan Wright. Now, Jordan Wright goes by the Beverly Hills Ninja, and he's based out of Los Angeles, California. He's currently a dog here at plus 170, 175-ish in the money line, depending upon what book you're using. He's 12-1 overall, 3-1-1 in his last five fights, 30 years old, 6'2 in height, the 77-inch reach. He trades out of Jackson Wink MMA and also Dynamax MMA. Very good gyms. As for Julian Marquez, who goes by the Cuban Missile Crisis, he is Cuban-American uh, from his dad's side, I believe. He's 9-2 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights. He's currently a minus 200 to minus 225 favorite on the money line. He's based out of Las, Ag Las Vegas, Nevada, where he trades out of Syndicate MMA, 31 years old, 6'2 in height, 72-inch reach. Now, according to Tapology here, Marquez is a big favorite, getting 82% of the votes, and I could not disagree more. Um, let me tell you here why you've got to be very careful with betting on Julian Marquez. Let's go to his last fight in particular. Okay, Julian Marquez fought Sam Alvey. Now, he gets the win there, rear naked choke in round two. But I just want to remind everyone what the numbers look like going into that fight. And I remember putting money on Marquez to win the fight because I fade Sam Alvey whenever I can. The dude's like 0-7-1 in his last, or 0-6-1 in his last seven fights. Dude hasn't won a fight in a long time. So if I can favor a guy going against him, I'll do that. And Marquez was just good enough for me to put my money on that situation. But look at the money line in that fight. Julian Marquez was a minus 165. He was a slight favorite there over Sam Alvey, and no offense to Sam Alvey, but he's a can at this point. That dude has nothing left. He's still fighting. He's got another fight coming up here soon. But at 34 years old, smiling Sam Alvey is, you know, to me, that's like a marker. I can see who he's fighting and sort of get a gauge for where that guy's at. Julian Marquez did finish him. He did win the fight convincingly. But the betting public knew going in, you couldn't trust Marquez. That's why he was only minus 165. So Coming now into this fight here, he gets that win. He looks good. So now he's going against Jordan Wright. Jordan Wright's been finished here twice recently. We'll talk about that. And so all of a sudden here, the money's going up on Marquez. Look, Marquez reminds me of a guy that you might know of. He reminds me specifically of um, Rodolfo Vieira, okay? These are guys that are super jacked, you know, got like a Herculean um, you know, Rambo type of physique, and they gas out pretty quickly. Um, maybe a little chinny at times too, in the case of, uh, Marquez, um, as long as Jordan Wright can get this fight to second or third round, which he should be able to do because he is athletic. He uses a very karate, you know, side type of fighting style, quick on his feet, uh, a lot like Steven Thompson. He should be able to get to round two and three. When he does that, Marquez, his hands come down, he gets sloppy, he gets tired. You know, the Rodolfo Vieira 
syndrome, you know, kind of sets in and he gets tired. And, you know, when you first look at the guy, he is jacked. Marquez is jacked. He's a strong dude. But low fighter IQ, cardio issues. I cannot wager on a guy at minus 225, minus 200-ish who's got those issues. And I don't think he's at minus 225 for this fight unless he finishes his last fight the way he did. But again, who did he fight? He fought Sam Alvey. You know, so I just, look, I'm going to fade Marquez a lot of times, more times than not, because I feel like he's got serious holes in his game. Whereas Jordan Wright, he's got issues too. We'll talk about it. He's not perfect by any means. Let's look more at Marquez. Okay, before he fought Sam Alvey, he beats Maki Patola. Again, another choke, Anaconda choke, actually. So the last two fights, he's finished those two fights by some by submission choke. And actually, the fight that he fought before that, he lost by split decision to Alesso de Chirico. But his fight prior to that against Darren Stewart, he finishes Darren Stewart by a front choke. So the guy knows how to finish people. Matter of fact, looking at uh, Marquez's actually fight history here, of his last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven wins have all been finishes by punches or by a head kick by a front choke or anaconda choke or rear naked choke. So he's got finishing ability, right? And that's where he's dangerous. Problem is, you get him into longer fights, like against uh, Alicio DeCirio, who beat him in a split decision, he took him to deeper waters, took him to round two, round three. That's where you're going to have a problem here with Marquez. And if you're betting on Marquez, you better hope he finishes that fight in round one. That's got to be where you're looking at this. Now, looking here at our buddy Jordan Wright. Let's first talk about what happened in 2018 against Anthony Fluffy Hernandez. The same Fluffy Hernandez who submitted um, Rodolfo, who we were just talking about. So he fights Fluffy Hernandez in 2018 in Dana White's Contender Series. He gets finished in 40 seconds of round one. Yeah, so Jordan Wright gets finished round one, 40 seconds of Dana White's Contender Series in 2018. After the fight, okay, Fluffy Hernandez tests positive for marijuana, so they make it a no contest. He got his ass beat. Bottom line is, marijuana, no marijuana. Jordan Wright got his ass cleaned up there in 2018 in that fight, so he does not get a contract, obviously. Ends up going back to LFA, wins a fight there round two against Gabriel Checo, then gets a call up to a fight night against Ike Villanueva, wins that fight because of a doctor stoppage in 2020, so he basically wins his first UFC fight. Hooray! Then he gets in there with Jacqueen Buckley. Oh my God, Jacqueen Buckley starches the hell out of Jordan Wright. I mean, really hurts the hell out of him. It's like Jordan Wright went in there for a fight. He just didn't realize the fight was coming right now, right away, and he just couldn't deal with it. Got hurt several times in the first round. Ends up getting completely finished and starts with a one-punch type of knockout in the second round. So, it was a bad showing overall. The one thing I saw from Jordan Wright there he's going to have to be careful of, if he's getting pressured like that by a guy who's a strong puncher, he's going to have to move. He's going to have to circle. He's going to have to get away from that could he see that here against Marquez? Yeah, I do think he could see that. So if you like Marquez to win the fight, you're looking at the Buckley fight and saying, that's the path to victory, right? Pressure, pace, get in his face, throw some bombs, hit him. You know, I think Jordan Wright knows that. I'm giving Jordan Wright a slight edge here in, in fighter IQ and in, in ring IQ. Um, I think he knows what he's doing in there. He knows his strong suit. He fucked up against Buckley. There's no question about it. He fucked up against Hernandez. I think those are two situations where you see clearly what the, what the issues with him. His chin's not amazing, and if you put the pressure on him, it could be a problem. Now, he does go ahead and bounce back after Buckley and beats Jamie Pickett. Actually, round one, one minute, knees, ground and pound, the whole deal gets a nice finish there. Um, these fights, like Jamie, Jamie Pickett, Jacqueline Buckley, these fights are in the description. If you look at the description, you'll see the links to those fights. You can watch them yourself. Um, yeah, so for Jordan Wright, this is a this is a this is coming down to really one major factor here. I don't like Julian Marquez as a fighter, not as a person. Uh, matter of fact, he's got a podcast he does called Beauty of the Beast, where his co-host is a uh, porn star. 
It's awesome. You know, like the guy has a, a, a nice personality outside the octagon. Seems like a likable person. Um, you know, doesn't seem to have any grudges with anyone like that. Just, you know, overall a likable dude. I just don't like the fighting style. I don't like the lapses in judgment. I don't like the cardio issues. I don't like the comparisons to, you know, Riera. Um, you know, so in this fight here, you got dog money here at plus 185 on Jordan Wright. And look, does can he lose the fight? Yeah, he can. But I'm putting a half unit straight up on Jordan Wright. I'm not going to be able to bet $225 on Julian Marquez with a straight face and feel comfortable with that bet. Now, if he wins and he gets a nice finish and he's been finishing guys left and right, then you're like, hey, I saw it coming. You know, Jordan Wright's been clocked. He's got a chin. I get all that. I'm not putting money behind a guy like Julian Marquez. Not yet. He's got to prove more to me. I got to see, see more solid performances. Um, before I start getting behind him at minus 225. So with all that said, I like Jordan Wright to win the fight. I think he picks him apart from distance. Maybe he drops round one. Maybe he even gets dropped himself in round one. But as long as he's using an intelligent game plan, which he should be using. You know, Jordan Wright trains at a good gym. He should have a good game plan in here coming in here. Take this fight to round two, round three. Drag Julian Marquez to the deeper parts of the fight. Let's test the cardio out. Let's see what he's doing. And if he does that, I think Jordan Wright gets the win on decision on the scorecards. He probably wins round two and three and drops round one. That's my breakdown. Up next, we've got the first of two women's bouts in the main card. It's a flyweight bout between Manny Firat from France and Myra Bueno Silva from Brazil. Bueno Silva is 7-1-1 overall. She's 5'6 in height with 67-inch reach. She's also a plus-180 underdog in this fight. As for Manny Firat, who's minus-220 in the money line, she's 7-1 overall, 5'7 in height with 66-inch reach. Now, striking numbers here favor Manny Firat. She's landing 8 strikes per minute compared to 4.06 for Bueno Silva. And Farage only absorbing 1.98 strikes per minute compared to 4.89 for Silva. For striking numbers there, clearly the advantage is for Farat, a busier fighter, and her striking ratio is much better. Now for takedown offense, Bueno Silva actually does not have any takedowns at all in her career. So zero takedowns over 15 minutes, whereas Manny Farat's averaging 1.75 takedowns per 15 minutes, or just about two takedowns per fight. For takedown defense, again, Farat is an advantage there. She's defending 100% takedowns against her, whereas Bueno Silva is defending 73% of takedowns against her. Now, According to Tapology, Farrat's the big favorite here. 93% of the votes coming in for Farrat. I like Farrat to win the fight too, though I, I will acknowledge I, there's a little bit of trepidation there. Um, Bueno Silva is no slouch by any means. I mean, she's 7-1-1 one, one for a reason. She's a tough fighter. She's Brazilian. I think at the very least, she puts on a good fight here. Um, I don't think she gets finished. I don't think she gets run over by any means easily. But Manny Farrat's going to beat on the scorecards. It's going to be the striking. It's going to be the it's going to be the accumulation of three rounds of a lot of kicking, a lot of striking. Look at the numbers. Again, eight strikes per minute is what she's landing. So Farrat's a very busy fighter. Let's look at Farrat first. She's got a background in kickboxing, karate. Um, that's where she started her mixed martial arts career, and then eventually transitioned over to mixed martial arts. In 2016, she moved to Vegas, um, got serious about her training, decided she was going to mixed martial arts full-time. Then 2018, around there, 2019, she gets her first Cage Warriors fight. And then from there, now she's made her way to the UFC. So following the right path, you know, she's 31 years old. At a good gym there in, in Vegas. Um, you know, a lot of things to like about her. I could see her being, you know, being around, put it that way, for a little while. Um, she's got the tools, uh, good physique, very lean, very long, um, does great in the feet. On the ground, though, she's not out of her element. And that's where she could separate herself here with Silva, who Silva is Brazilian, the BJJ thing. You assume that she's really good at BJJ, and she is decent, but she's not amazing on the ground. There's been times on the ground that she gets exposed. So, I think for Silva, she'd prefer to keep the fight in the feet, obviously, and her numbers support that. Uh, looking at some recent fight history here for um, Manifarat, she's coming here off of a 
win against Tabitha Ricci. Um, that was back in June, so not too long ago. Um, nice win, second round, TKO. She overwhelms her, did a good job. Um, and it should be noted here, looking back at uh, Manafarat's recent fight history, she has finished one, two, three, four fights in a row. Five fights in a row, excuse me, going back to 2020. So she's fought five fights in the last two years, basically, and all five she's finished them. You don't see that very often um, from a women's fighter, not to mention her first two fights in the UFC against Leonardo and Richie. She finished both those opponents within the first two rounds by ground and pound or by head kick or by TKO of some kind. So she's got some finishing power. Um, and when I look at these two fighters side by side, that's definitely one area that I like for Rott. She's got more finishing ability than Amara Bonasova, who Bonasova has had a decision, I think, in four of her last five fights. So she tends to go to decision. In terms of experience, though, there is a slight edge there for Bonasova. Um, she has fought more UFC fights. You got to give her that um, compared to Manafara, who's coming in with just two UFC fights under her belt. So there's a slight advantage there for experience. But in terms of fighter IQ, I also give a slight bump there to uh, Farad. I think Farad's got good fighter IQ. She can get the fight in the ground. She can exist on the ground, fight in the ground, do her thing there on the feet. She's sharp. She's clean. Whereas with Silva, she's more one-track minded. It's on the feet. It's more reactionary. Doesn't have the best jab. Her volume is limited, um, so from fighter IQ standpoint, I get a slight edge there for Farat, and for finishing ability, a slight edge for Farat. For cardio, they're about the same. Um, in terms of their strength of schedule, very similar, but again, a slight edge for Bruno Silva because she's fought more UFC fights. So, look, you don't want to go and put the bank here on Farat. You're not putting the mortgage up there on Farat, but I like her to win. I have parlayed her already with a few parlays, even with some other sports. I like her straight up. Don't think I'm in a better straight up. At minus 220, there's just not a lot of value. That's, again, $220 to make 100 bucks. I think I'll parlay this with some confidence, though, and I'll have her in the parlay we'll talk about here at the end. Uh, but, yeah, I like Farad to beat Silva here. I think she beats her on the scorecards and gets a, gets a unanimous decision win here. Okay, next up, we've got a lightweight bout between two American fighters, Jim Miller and Eric Gonzalez. Now, Jim Miller is the veteran, having fought 48 total fights in his career, and this will be his 38th UFC fight. He's 32-16 and 16 overall, coming to this fight as a favorite on the money line at minus 200. He's 2-3 and three in his last five fights, 5 foot 8 in height with a 71-inch reach. He's landing 2.65 strikes per minute, absorbing 2.92, landing 1.63 takedowns per 15 minutes, and defending at a 47% rate for his takedowns. As for Eric Gonzalez, who's 29 years old, so he's going to be nine years younger. He's plus 170-ish on the money line. It's been moving around. He's 14-5 overall. This will be his first UFC fight, so it's a UFC debut. He's 4-1 in his last five fights, 5 foot 11 in height with 74-inch reach. We do not have striking numbers on him or takedown numbers on him, unfortunately, because it's his first UFC fight. Now, according to Tapology, Miller, the veteran, who's very well-known, is the favorite, getting 81% of the votes here on Tapology. We like Miller to win the fight. Um, just looking at it from... The, you know, the, the most obvious points here, Miller has a significant experience advantage here over Gonzalez. Uh, Miller also has, I believe, an IQ advantage here, not just because of the experience, but because of the fact that he's been in there with some really good fighters over the years. And even his last few losses, when you look at Jim Miller's, <clears throat> you know, career right now, he's coming off back-to-back of -back -back decision losses against Vince Pichel and Joe Selecki. What does that tell you? Well, it tells you even at the age of 38 or 37, 38 right now, he's still durable. Hasn't lost his durability. He's not showing any chin issues. His prior loss before that against Scott Holtzman, 2020, he lost by decision. Um, prior loss against Charles Oliveira, 2018, he gets rear naked choked. Well, doesn't everyone get choked out by Oliveira? Which is interesting because that was a rematch. He fought Charles Oliveira back in his heyday, um, back in like 2011. And he actually submitted Charles Oliveira. 
you know. So, you know, Jim Miller has been in there with some of the best of the best. Um, and in his prime, he was one of the best BJJ guys in all of MMA in that division. Um, but again, when you're looking at his last few losses, you're going back to like Francisco Trinaldo in 2017, decision loss, you know, Charles Oliver got choked, um, got knocked out by Dan Hooker. That's one of the few times where his chin <clears throat> didn't hold up. But even against Anthony Pettis and against Dustin Poirier back in 2017, he goes to decision both those fights. So these are all losses that he's had recently. Quality fighters, showing durability, showing cardio. Now, there's rumors that ever since he you know, he was diagnosed with, um, uh, what was that, uh, Lyme disease. Ever since then that he's never really been the same cardio-wise. I, I think that, along with the fact that he is fully on 38 he's 38 years old in one month so he's not almost 39 he's 38 you know pretty much exactly um that's a factor now another factor for him is that he tested positive last month in september um prior to a fight you know, he was supposed to fight someone else last month um ends up having to pull out he test, tested positive for covid so that was less than a month ago um you know those are issues those are definitely red flags and at minus 200 you're not feeling great about those two to one odds like you know putting minus 200 dollars to make 100 bucks i think as a parlay piece i like jim miller um don't love it straight up um, I think there's look at those red flags are real. <laughs> those are going to be some issues. Now, the positive side for Jim Miller, yes, he's fought a lot of fights. Yes, he's been there with some really good fighters. He's you know shown durability, shown that he can match up well with even some of the best guys in the business. Um, he's a phenomenal wrestler. Um, if you don't know, he had a wrestling background, grew up in Sparta, New Jersey, still lives in Sparta, Sparta, you know, Sparta Township, New Jersey. Um, went to college at Virginia Tech, wrestled at Virginia Tech for a year. Um, was I was surprised to read this. He actually didn't get along with the coaching staff, so left after a year, um, which doesn't seem like the kind of guy you, you'd see. You know, Jim Miller's very um, kind of like gets along with everyone, right? Maybe he was just young. Maybe he was a coach, whatever. So anyway, leaves, gets into G, you know BJJ training back in like 2005, starts training at a school there in New Jersey with his brother, um, Dan Miller. So they get into it, and then he actually goes fully into the MMA, obviously, has a whole career. Now here we are, what, 48 fights later. Um, he's married, got a couple kids, um, so he's a family man, and uh, used to work construction. Just, you know, a good old American boy who's finishing off his MMA career. Any one of these fights coming up could be the end of his career. Any one of these fights could be his last fight. And I'd say it for two reasons. One, because of the losing. You know, he's lost something like, I think, eight of his last 12 fights. Um, so he's on a bit of a rough run there. Um, he's also getting older. Um, and so could he get starched, get a bad knockout, and that's, we do, that's it. I don't want to mess up my brain. I still want to have a quality of life. So that's always possible. And Eric Gonzalez is a warrior, so he can pose some you know, some risk there for, for, for Miller on the feet. But in terms of the game plan, if Miller comes in here and wrestles and does his thing, I like him. I like his advantages. He's not a big-time finisher, but neither is Eric Gonzalez. Um, strength of schedule clearly on the side of Jim Miller, whereas Eric Gonzalez is his UFC debut. I think for Eric Gonzalez, this is not the best UFC debut matchup that he could have had. For him, it would have been ideal for him to go in there with a striker, someone who's going to stand with him toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Jim Miller is already known as being a wrestler and a grappler and very good at submissions, and, and he's going to have opportunities here. Eric Gonzalez, if you look at some of the prior fights on him, when he tries to shoot on someone, even like late first round, he just doesn't have the quickness anymore. His cardio is not great. Um, and it makes sense. Any wrestler will tell you when you're shooting in round one, early round one versus round two or three, you know, your legs are getting tired. It's just you're not as fluid. You're not as quick. And so for Gonzalez, he leaves his neck open. Miller's going to love that. He's going to have it right there available to him. But I think even more so, Miller will have the advantage on the feet when they go to do their grappling exchanges. They go to do wrestling. So, you know, for Gonzalez, he's the true Mexican warrior, you know, born in California, Mexican heritage. Look at some of his prior fights. We put a link here. In the description for uh, one of his prior fights or two of his prior fights, um, but the one against Hoffa Garcia, and Hoffa is in the UFC, so it's a notable fight to watch for him. Hoffa and him go toe to toe for three rounds. It's just a war. 
two Mexican warrior fighters in combate down in Mexico, um, just going toe-to-toe, great fight. Rafa gets the decision, and look, you see that Eric has a wonderful chin. Dude could definitely crack. He could take a punch. He could deliver a punch. A few times he got hit really hard and would, like, smile back. And, you know, so good poker face. Um, a lot of toughness. But, man, he gets so off balance at times. And you could see how Hoffa Garcia, who I don't believe Hoffa Garcia is as good of a wrestler even right now as Jim Miller. Um, but Jim Miller will be able to simply get him off balance, take him to the ground, get back control. So I like Jim Miller in this fight. You know, the more I'm talking about this, I'm thinking maybe I do want to put at least a half a unit on him, which is not great return. Like, what, you make like 20 bucks or something like that on that. But... I do like him to win the fight. This should be a path to victory for him, grappling, wrestling, taking Eric to the ground. And even if he doesn't do it via points, he should have an opportunity to finish the fight here. Jim Miller is a submission master. He's like a whatever, purple belt in BJJ. The guy's been around the block. He should have opportunities here against Eric Gonzalez. For Gonzalez, I love what I saw from him in the film. I think a better matchup could have been more exciting, but this is not a great matchup for him. In there with a veteran who likes to grapple and wrestle. And here you have Gonzalez who... I don't know what his takedown defense is percentage-wise, but watch the film against, you know, Hoffa Garcia um, or even watch the film against, uh, we have another film here, against uh, a gentleman called Ben, ben Dene, back to 2018 um, or 19. Same type of, type of thing here. Anyone who's tried to wrestle Gonzalez when you're watching on film can easily take him down to the mat. Now you got Jim Miller, veteran, who's going to be able to take him down to the mat. So I like Miller here by point, by decision. I think that's a safe safe prop to possibly consider. Um, but by Miller by submission, that's going to be available too. So that's the breakdown, guys. All right, we're up to the co-main event. It's going to be a heavyweight battle between Andre Orlovsky from Belarusia and Carlos Felipe from Brazil. Felipe is 11-1 overall. He's 3-1 in the UFC so far, 4-1 in his last five fights. He's currently even money here in the money line. It's about minus 110 to minus 115 for Felipe, even though I did see it go up to minus 125 at some point. And it came back down to a pick him. On either side, you've got Arlovsky, same thing, minus 110. So um, Felipe is 26 years old, so much younger here than the 42-year-old opponent here. Uh, 16 years younger to be exact. This guy could be uh, could be his dad. <laughs> anyway, uh, Felipe is 6 foot in height with a 75-inch reach. He trains out of Life MMA, which is down in Brazil. As for Arlovsky, who goes by the Pitbull, one of the original Pitbulls in MMA, 31 and 20 overall. So yeah, 31 and 20. The dude's fought 51 total MMA fights. His UFC debut was in 2000. His MMA debut was in 1999 in St. Petersburg, Russia. I thought it was interesting to look up that he debuts in 1999 in M1 in St. Petersburg, Russia, and loses a fight against the 0-0 uh, opponent, and it gets knocked out in round one. Um, how weird would it be that a guy who gets knocked out in the first round of his first ever fight would go on to have the kind of career that he's had, uh, which interestingly, it's a career that at times the chin has been in question. So his first fight ever, he got knocked out. <laughs> anyway, um, he's currently out of Chicago, Illinois. He trains an American top team, so does have a very good gym. He's 42 years old, as we discussed, six foot three and high with a 77 inch reach. Now looking here more closely at the numbers, he's landing 3.62 strikes per minute. That is Orlovsky, and he's absorbing 2.95. Not bad over a very long career, so he's on a positive side there of his striking output. As for Carlos Felipe, in his small career of only a sample size of four fights in the UFC, he's absorbing 5.62 strikes per minute, and he's dishing out 4.88. So that's not a good ratio. Now, as for takedowns, Orlovsky is averaging just, well, just about 0.45 takedowns per 15 minutes. So not even a half a takedown per normal three-round three round fight. So he does do some grappling and some pinning against the cage, that kind of thing. But um, as he's gotten older... 
doesn't seem to want to bend from the hips and the knees so much and have to work to get on the ground. So that's not a big part of his game. As for Carlos Felipe, he's got zero takedowns, um, has not taken out anyone yet in his uh, four fights in the UFC. Uh, for takedown defense, Felipe is defending at 72% and Arlovsky is defending at 78%. Uh, for topology here, Felipe is uh, is not getting the votes here. Arlovsky is getting 67% of the votes, so he's the favorite here coming into the fight according to the public vote, whereas Felipe is getting 33, 33% of the votes. Now, this is a heavyweight fight here. Um, Felipe, one path to victory I would believe for him would be starching Orlovsky, just simply hurting him. Um, Orlovsky has had some shit issues in the past. He is 42 years old. I've see, I've noticed significant um, drop-offs in his quickness, his athleticism. You know, I, I I tell you, look, go go look at some fights of him when he was much younger. Um, it reminded me of like I'm trying to think of even other sports, but like remember Barry Bonds for the baseball people. Like Barry Bonds as a young baseball player was very quick and very athletic. People who don't remember how you know long ago he was, uh, he was very athletic. You know, leading the league in steals and that kind of thing. And um, but then as he started taking the juice and evolved into a you know a long ball hitter. Um, his physique changed. His, everything changed about him. Arlovsky, a lot has changed about him too, but it's not been positive. He doesn't have the quickness he used to have. Um, will tend to give up. Like if you pressure him uh, in the Aspinall fight, that's a good example. Like Aspinall is just like pressuring him, and he's like, you know what? I, I, yeah, I don't want to get too much. Pre I don't get too much damage done here. And Aspinall goes in for a choke. Doesn't even really get the choke set in by any means. And Arlovsky just taps real quick. Um, whenever he's fighting anyone recently, that is Arlovsky. That is of decent like potential or decent, like let's say caliber. So let's say Ta Tom Aspinall loses to him in 2021 back in uh, February. Uh, Jarzinho Rosenstrike loses to him round one, 29 seconds, um, 2019. Augusto Sakai, 2019, loses to him by split decision. Um, Tai Tuavasa, 2018. Shamil uh, Kimov. Um, so, um, you know, guys like Marcin Tuabara, Francis Ngannou, um, Alistar Overeem, you know, Stipe Miocic, all these guys have beat him, okay, um, going back to 2017 or so. The guys he's beating, though, are guys like Chase Sherman, Tanner Bozer, Felipe Linz, Ben Rothwell, um, you know, no contest split with uh, Walt Harris, um, went over Steven Struve, Junior Al Albini. So you can see that he's not beating very high-level guys. And this fight here, Carlos Felipe would kind of fit that mold, right? He would be another one of those like Ben Rothwell, Philippe Linz type of guy. And I will admit, looking at Philippe Linz, when you're looking at some of his recent fights, what he did there in his, his win over Jack Collier was not great. It was a split decision win. He's had two split decision wins in his last two fights, but that win over Jake Collier was not impressive by any means. Collier, look, say what you want to say about him, but just doesn't seem like a very skilled fighter at that heavyweight division, has eaten himself into that situation. He was a much lighter MMA fighter before um, and just doesn't have a lot of power. Wasn't a great opponent, honestly, but Felipe kind of fought down to the opponent and didn't separate himself and got pieced up and had a swollen eye at the end of the fight. So it just didn't really look good. And then his prior fight against, um, he fought Tatafa, right? That prior fight, a lot of people believe he lost that fight. It was a split decision win, so he gets the win technically. But those back-to-back split decision wins could have both been losses. The prior fight with DeCastro, he wins that by decision as well. So look, he's had four UFC fights. All of them have gone decision. The first one against Spivak, he loses by decision. Um, so nothing to really write home about. Here's what I'm thinking, though, happens here. I think age is a factor. I think the 42-year-old, the fighter who's been in here for 50-some-odd fights, it, it look, it's just slowing down. So Felipe, if he could push the pace just enough, can maybe get Andre to just shot, kind of throw the towel in, whether it's you know physically throw the towel in right away or just kind of back up, crawl up, and say that's it. 
do I do I expect Felipe to go in there and like completely outclass Arlovsky? No, Arlovsky's a veteran. He's crafty. He knows how to make fights close. This is a lot like the Chase Sherman fight. I think Chase Sherman could have beaten Arlovsky in his last fight, but Chase Sherman just couldn't deal with the crafty veteran. Then he had his own little demons and was talking to himself and uh, in the corner, or whatever, having issues. But the point is, Arlovsky's crafty. If he sees blood, he's gonna you know he's gonna go after you. Um, Felipe has got some pride. The Brazilian fighter, you know, I looked at their backgrounds. I found it interesting that both guys have this in common. They both were bullied as kids. For Felipe, he was bullied for being like overweight and whatnot, so he ended up turning to mixed martial arts as a way to sort of get in shape, you know, find his path, get his confidence. Um, for Orlovsky, he grew up in the Soviet Union. That guy is like a relic. He grows up in Belarusia, what well, well, was then the Soviet Union, Belarusia, but now it's Belarusia, the country. He grows up there, gets bullied by kids, so he turns to martial arts as a way, you know, avenue. So um, both of them have that in their background, though one is 14, you know, 16 year difference here in age. So. Anyway, all that said, I think the younger fighter here gets my vote for who's going to win the fight. Betting-wise, don't know what to do here. I think you're going to have to just pass on it from a betting standpoint. Not a lot of confidence either way. And you got a 42-year-old fighter. So I've heard some people say, oh, Orlovsky's you know, crafty. Felipe's not a very you know, established heavyweight by any means and has you know, so, shown some chinks in the armor. Um, I do think you know, if there's a grappling exchange against the fence, Orlovsky clearly has the, has the better, you know, um, better technique there. Whereas you know, what we've seen recently that if you could pin um, you know, Felipe against the fence, he doesn't do well. He, he has a hard time getting out of there. So you know, I do see the path to victory here for Orlovsky. But look, the 42-year-old thing, there, there's, there's different rules there for me in terms of how I look at plus 40-year-old fighters. I do acknowledge in the heavyweight division that a 42-year-old fighter, it's like dog years. That means he's probably like a 34-year-old, 35-year-old, let's say, uh, middleweight. Because, yeah, it, it, for heavyweights, they can fight into their 40s and they can be productive. And there's, there's a list of guys who have been doing it. So, um, and he's doing it. He is doing it. He's coming off of here off of a win. He's not like out here struggling to get Ws or to get fights. And this is what his um, – for Orlovsky, this is going to be his uh, 2021. This will be his third fight in 2021. So look at that. Here's a guy who's 42 years old, okay? And 42 years old, I want to see his exact age here. He's 42 years old in eight months. So in four months from now, my man Andre Orlovsky is going to be 43 years old. He's fought three times in 2021 with this fight coming up here with Philippe. And look, he could probably get a win here, you know? And looking at his last last four fights, he beat Tanner Bozer, Philippe Linz, and Chase Sherman. So he's 3-1 and one in his last four fights. Who am I to tell this guy, hang it up, you're not good? But, man, at some point, age is a factor. If Carlos Felipe has done the, the work conditioning-wise, which is a, it's an if, um, and could push the pace enough second and third round, Andre's going to get tired. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have – what was the fight recently I want to compare this to? Oh, the Nico Price fight. Nico Price fighting uh, Cowboy, Oliveira, right? One of the basic, you know, fundamental difference makers in that fight that I talked about and I heard some other any other handicappers talk about as well was that simply the heart, like – the heart meter like who would really like if it comes down to it and the shit hits the fan who's gonna want it more and it was like you know what i think that guy's nico price i think cowboy Oliveira has shown as he's gotten older and kind of just done this a long time that you know what i'm here to get a check but i ain't trying to go to the hospital and if i get pushed too much and i get outside my comfort zone i'm gonna pretty much give up that very much to me resembles what andre orlovsky is at this point in his career mad respect to the dude Guy could probably knock me out with, with his pinky. Amazing fighter, legend, yada, yada, yada. But I see two things either happening here for Carlos Felipe to get the win. Either one, he just simply outvalues him, volumes him, especially in round two and three, or he could actually hurt Andre Olaski at some point. So I know I'm not in the majority here. I've heard a lot of other people going on the side of Olaski, and I get it. Veteran, Belarusian. Here I am going against, a, going against a Russian or Belarusian, which is never smart. I did it on Contender Series uh, the night with the. Um, 
the Duncan fight and Slava. I should have gone with Slava. I was wrong. Um, anyway, here, I'm on Carlos Felipe, uh, Felipe, the Brazilian fighter, to get the fight here, and he's getting my vote. In terms of betting, I might touch it with something small because I want to have action in the fight, so I'll probably at most put a half unit here on Carlos Felipe, and I will be parlaying this fight into any parlays. Here we are. We are up to the main event. It's a women's bout in the featherweight division between the Brazilian Norma Dumont and the American fighter Aspen Ladd. Dumont's 31 years old. She's 6-1 overall, 4-1 her last five fights, 5-7 five in height, with a 67-inch reach. She's landing just under five strikes per minute, absorbing 2.86 strikes per minute, landing just under two takedowns per 15 minutes, and has a very good takedown defense, defending 100% of takedowns against her. Currently on the money line, she's a plus-125 underdog, which is more or less a pick em here. As for Aspen Ladd, you can get her on the other side at minus 145. She's 9-1 overall, so she's fought a few more fights, even though she's younger by five years. 26 years old. Ladd's 4-1 in her last five fights, 5-6 five in height with 66-inch reach. As for her striking numbers, she's landing just over five strikes per minute and absorbing 4.84 strikes per minute. She's taking down her opponents just at a rate of just under three takedowns per 15 minutes, which is a very good high active rate for takedowns. It kind of shows you the kind of fighter she is, and she's defending takedowns at 66% rate. So, um... We'll see how that goes here. Again, Dumont's not very active with takedowns, but if she does get a takedown opportunity, it looks like Ladd could defend herself uh, pretty well on the feet. As for tapology, Ladd's getting most of the votes here, 68% of the votes coming in for Aspen Ladd over Dumont. So let's talk about the elephant in the room first of all. Aspen Ladd was supposed to fight a week ago against uh, Macy Chasson. Unfortunately, she has a very ugly weight cut, ends up uh, missing weight, but then on the scale has like one of those you know fainting, falling, you know, really, you know, Looks dehydrated, sucked out, and just terrible. So she doesn't make it. They cancel the fight overnight due to medical. It's a shame because they were supposed to fight before back in July, Macy Chasson and Aspen. And unfortunately, um, at that time, um, Macy had suffered an injury, so they couldn't fight. Um, now, four fights in a row for Aspen Ladd have been canceled. She was supposed to fight Sarah McCann back in 2020, in June of 2020, just over a year, year and a few months ago. And unfortunately, she tore her ACL, Aspen Ladd, that is. So she recovered from ACL tear in 2020 all into then 2021. It takes about nine months or so to recover from that kind of injury. So I would say she's still at the tail end of recovering from that injury and getting you know her full confidence back here as she's coming into this fight here versus Dumont because she has not fought since that injury. Um, in any case, she also had a fight against uh, Juliana Pena that got canceled because uh, Pena had to pull out for an injury. So her last four bouts have been scheduled uh, from 2020 to 2021. They just haven't happened. And that could play out differently. Could it be that uh, it messes with her head? She has ring rust and then comes in here and, you know, she just, uh, yeah, has bad, you know, just, just bad overall you know instincts because she hasn't been in the ring in a while. Or does she come in here having really, you know, sharpened her mind? She's 26 years old, hasn't fought in two years, you know, really, you know, kind of hone in and mature and get better. I'd say that the weight cut that she missed about a week ago shows you that possibly she's not maturing and possibly she's not changing her ways. It's not the first time Aspen Ladd has had a weight cut issue. So this has been, it's kind of stalked her in her very young career. Um, now for Aspen Ladd, in terms of how she fights uh, and what you like about her and the reason why I think she'll win this fight, she's aggressive. She's a bully. She's going to push her opponent up against the cage. She's going to try to outmuscle her opponent. And when she gets in that like body lock position, when she gets herself pushed, you know, chest to chest against her opponent, she tends to win those battles. Um, she's very powerful in the clinch. Even against other fighters in the past, where you watch her fight and you're thinking like, oh, you know, she might have a, a power disadvantage here. She tends to overpower her opponents. Um, look at Sajara Eubanks. Sajara Eubanks is a very good wrestler, very good grappler. In that fight in 2019, when they fight for the second time, 
um, she's able to overpower Eubanks in the clinch. Now, granted, towards the end of round one, round two, it's easier for Aspen Ladd to do that because Sajara Eubanks starts to gas out. But even earlier in round one, she goes toe-to-toe with her and is able to out-grapple her and out-wrestle her, which kind of shows you the potential for Aspen Ladd. Now, that was two years ago, 2019. That was 24-year-old um, Aspen Ladd. Now, she's only 26 now. But look, when you're, when you're looking at a younger fighter like Aspen Ladd, um, they're making improvements. They're making bigger improvements than, let's say, someone who's 31 years old, right? Like in the case of Norma Dumont. Um, now, I got to say this, too, about Aspen Ladd, because I've already talked about the elephant in the room with the weight cut and stuff. Let's go back a week or so ago with Agapova, right? Agapova was coming into that fight, UFC Vegas 39, and she was fighting um, Sabina Mazo. And you started hearing all this chatter right up leading up to the fight. It was about how she was, you know, using drugs and accusations that she like, you know, terrible teammate, bouncing from one gym to another, you know, just all this stuff, getting arrested. I mean, the rumors just started flying. And of course, the money started coming in on Mazo. And people were like, oh, yeah, you know, Agapova's got issues. She's got anger management issues. You know, she's, she's using drugs. And then you have a coach or two who comes out in her defense and says, that's just straight bullshit. Okay, someone's just trying to come at her right now. And she goes out there, looks amazing, fights amazing, and all those chirping rumors just went zip. So careful here with Aspen Lat, okay? Bad weight cut, okay, okay. You're not eating for like 24 fucking hours. You're not drinking anything for like 12 to 12 to 18 hours. You're sucking out. You're trying to lose those last few pounds. You're not going to look great. You know, the weight cut is never good for any of these guys. It's tough. It's hard on the system. She claimed that maybe she was menstruating. Okay, maybe you got that factor too. I think that was kind of a bullshit excuse. But the point is, she's 26 years old. Maybe she's still mastering how to do this thing with the weight cut and whatever else. And so, look, she's got to get better at that. But I'm not going to look at this and be like, these are all the red flags I need now to throw out the window that she's a tough fighter. Because if you don't have these chirping issues right now, these little rumors right now about her, then if you just look at her mano a mano against Norma Dumont, I think most people will tell you, 9 out of 10 people will tell you, she wins the fight, okay? I like Norma Dumont, okay? But she got cold clocked by Megan Anderson about two years ago. And in that fight, you see the side of Norma Dumont that concerns me. Yes, she's tough, okay? Yes, she likes to work from the outside. She's got strong lower body, really thick thighs, um... Has not fought a lot, only six and one, right? So not a lot of experience, okay? She leaves her chin wide the hell open, okay? She's a little sloppy in her exchanges. She's very easily, she's very easy to take down with a good grappler like someone like Aspen Ladd. So I imagine within the first 30, 30, 45 seconds of this fight, Aspen Ladd takes her to the ground, gets on top of her, and begins to at least start the path to victory, which is going to be top game in the bottom. Grinding her out, Aspen Ladd can finish the fight in the ground. And then as for, you know, uh, Dumont, look, she was a person who started her MMA training like at the around age of 14 or something like that. Her story is like she's one of like several girls in the household. Her father walked out when she was like four or five years old. She got into mixed martial arts, then takes a job, you know, when she's like a teenager, like the age of 19 or something like that, just, you know, has to, has to stop doing the MMA thing, has to go into the real world, has to start earning some money. And then late teens, about 2021, she drops the career path of working as a secretary and says, I want to get back to mixed martial arts. I want to do this. And now she's doing it. This reminds me of like, um, uh, bitch Carrera. Like we just, I just talked about this recently. These fighters who don't really have a, a base in mixed martial arts and like they go into their career world and they're like, you know, I, I'd rather do MMA again. It's like kind of awkward. So what I'm saying is there's some flags there for me. I like Dumont overall as a fighter. She's decent. She's UFC material, but you know, got to pump the brakes here on her, especially when it's like, oh, well, Aspen Ladd has a bunch of issues. If Aspen Ladd comes in here, even with the issues, even with her issues, doesn't take away the fact that she's still a really good grappler. Doesn't take away the fact that she's very, very, you know, aggressive 
You know, she's going to push tempo. She will push the pace. She'll be the one walking forward. Okay, and, and in terms of Norma Dumont, it's not that she'll back up. She likes a circle. Okay, she's going to circle her opponent. She does that against even when she's beating up an opponent. Okay, she likes to circle those opponents. Like in the, in the case of uh, the fight with Ashley Evans Smith when she fought her back in 2020, she's beating Evans Smith in every which way, shape, or form. But she doesn't like have the killer instinct. Doesn't like you know put the pressure on. It doesn't go for it. And that kind of speaks to the way she fights. Looking at Norma Dumont's last three fights that she's won, they've been decision wins over Spencer, Smith, and Marias. Now, she did get beat up by Megan Anderson. Round one, it was tough, man. It was a right hand straight down the pipe. She kind of walked into it. She was sloppy. And dare I say, in that fight versus Megan Anderson only a year ago, I thought that Dumont also looked a little bit out of shape. She just looked out of shape. Didn't look great. Wasn't really sharp that night, okay? Um, in the UFC, she is 2-1. She's on a two-fight winning streak. So those are some things to like about Dumont. You know, as for Aspen Ladd in the UFC, this is going to be her, what, let me see, one, two, three, four, five. This is going to be her sixth UFC fight. Wow, she's so young, too. And for her, she came in blazing. She beat Leon Landsberg. She beat Tanya Evinger. She beat Jar Banks the first time. Then she gets cold clocked by Randomy first round, 16 seconds. Bounces back with a win over Yana Kuninskaya. And then now she's got herself up against Norma Dumont. Again, don't get distracted by these recent rumors. She's a, she's a brawler. She's tough. I think you've got someone like Norma Dumont who's... A good fighter, but not going to be a great matchup for her because you got someone here like Aspen Ladd who, hey, how about you could twist the, twist the narrative this way. Doesn't Aspen Ladd have something to prove, right? Doesn't she have, like, like I'm sure she got the call where it was like, hey, you know what? We need somebody to come in here. We know you just botched the weight cut. You need to get in the good graces of the boss, man. Um, do you want this opportunity? I'm sure her and her team were like, hell yeah, we want this opportunity to redeem ourselves. So I expect to see um, an Aspen Ladd who's like, uh, you know, a rabid dog okay with rabies like just literally arr, you know like foaming at the mouth here so that's what i expect to see here um you know as for dumont look she's not going anywhere she'll be around they may end up fighting again at some point um i go i like a lot of things about dumont and initially when i broke down the fight i actually was on dumont so i, I can't sit here and be like oh you know from the beginning i was i was so sure of it something about dumont that bothers me a little bit she could be a bit of a slow starter in a short fight like this or i'm sorry in a five round fight like this that may not end up being the end all but she could drop around just because first round especially tends to be slow starter. She knows also is going to be five rounds, so she's going to circle, stay away. Um, she has no finishing ability at all. Norma Dumont is not a finisher. So if Aspen Ladd does have her cardio in check, which is kind of a question mark with all this, you know, issues with the weight, whatever, you know, we could see maybe Aspen Ladd slowing down around four or five, and that could be championship round opportunity for Dumont to close the distance. When I compare them straight up in terms of experience, very similar. They've both fought under 10 fights, only a handful of UFC fights. IQ-wise, I got to give the edge to Norma Dumont because she's not missing weight and not having these rumors or these issues. Um, the torn ACL is not an IQ issue, but it's still a reality. You haven't fought in several years. She's been out of the ring. So I'm giving an edge there to the more active fighter in Dumont in terms of her fighter IQ. For cardio, I think they're both reasonable average cardio for their respective division. They can go their full distance. Neither one has shown like gas, super duper gas issues. Though I do remember in that fight with Dumont, uh, when she fought there again against Megan Anderson, she just looked tired there at the end of round one. But that was just one situation, one instance. I'm not going to hold that against her too much. As for finishing ability, again, the, the edge goes to Aspen Ladd. She is a finisher. You're looking at her recent fights here. She beat Yana Kuniskaya round three with a ground and pound. Her prior fight against uh, Eubanks was a decision win, but then her fight before that against Evinger and Landsberg, she finishes both those fights by ground and pound within round one, round two, respectively. So that is a path to victory. She'll drag your ass to the ground, and she'll finish you. 
she's nasty on the ground. Um, so I give her an edge there in terms of finishing ability. And then in terms of strength of schedule, there is a little edge there to Aspen Ladd. She's fought 10 fights, respectively, compared to Norma Dumont. But Norma Dumont has fought three UFC fights. And as we just talked about here recently with Aspen Ladd, she fought her first UFC fight in 2017. At that time, she was four, 22 years old. She wins that fight. She wins her second and her third. Goes on a three-fight winning streak there in the UFC before getting cold clocked by Randomy, and then obviously fights her fifth fight against Yana Kunitska. So she's got more experience. She's fought more UFC fighters all around. Look. Again, with the exception of this little issue a week or so ago with, with the weigh-in um, and the rumors about whatever else and coming off of the ACL tear, you know, look, those are flags, but I don't think they should take away from the fact that you've got yourself a skilled fighter here who's got a chip on her shoulder and maybe this extra shit going on around her now is going to be everything else she needs to maybe instead of not only winning this fight, but finishing the fight. So I've got Aspen Ladd to win. And I've got some confidence here with this pick. I may not be taking on a full unit on this minus 145, but I'll at least be doing something with some parlaying or taking a half unit straight up here on Aspen Lat. And there is a chance here with a five-round fight. She grinds up Norma Dumont, gets her to the ground, and just simply finishes her. So I expect to see a really good version of Aspen Lad. And once the fight's over, it's going to be like Agapova fight last week where all that shit they were talking before the fight, the gym and whatever else. Good luck with this one, guys. That brings us to the end of the UFC Vegas 40 breakdown. I'm going to do a just quick summary here on our picks to win each fight. We'll start with the main card. We like Aspen Ladd, Carlos Felipe, Jim Miller, Manny Firat, Jordan Wright, Bruno Silva, Ramazan Imev, Lupita Godinez. Now, I did not break down Lupita Godinez in this initial, uh, I'm sorry, video because we didn't get that information until late. I'll have to do that breakdown on a separate one. So if you're confused as to why I'm saying Lupita right now at the end of a video when I didn't do a breakdown, I'm just giving you our picks to win as a summary here. So we like Lubita Codinez beating Luana Carolina. We like Ludovic Klein beating Nate Landwehr, uh, Dana Baccarat, and Ariana Carnalasi. So those are our picks to win each fight. We will do our prop bets and our prop uh, positions on our prop show. So best of luck with this event, guys. Um, I know it doesn't seem to be the most exciting and there maybe lacks the name power of other events, but you know what? It's cards like this that'll sneak up on you. And just out of nowhere, some stars can be born. So I, I'm looking at the glass. It's half full instead of half empty. It's more UFC. It's more MMA. We should be all thankful for it. So good luck with the event, guys. As usual, if this video was helpful for you or just entertaining, please like and subscribe. Uh, we appreciate the support. We're not selling anything to you guys. We don't have any Patreon or nothing of that nature. But we just offer picks. We offer information about each MMA event coming up between Bellator and UFC. And so if this information is helpful for you, if you're winning some tickets based upon our advice, Come on back, tell us, like, and subscribe. If you're losing based upon our advice and we're giving you shitty advice, come on back and complain about that too. Post it in the comments. So anyway, thanks again for stopping by. Good luck with this event and take care.